Welcome to day eight of Insights and Intuitions with Pondering AI. In this episode, Dr. Erica Thompson reflects on making model decisions. Hey, Erica, thanks for joining us again. Hi, Kimberly. Nice to see you. Now, since the last time we talked, your amazing book, Escape from Model Land, has come out. So congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, it's super exciting. (laughs) Now, since then, how do you think our or has our collective understanding of how to apply models correctly and jump from model land to real life improved and why or why not? Wow, I don't know. Well, I suppose lots of things have changed, haven't they? I mean, we've we've sort of seen more fallout of the consequences of decision making based on mathematical models during the pandemic. We've seen all sorts of hype and maybe the crash of the hype and maybe different hype of uh, AI models, large language models. So I think our understanding has moved on in a lot of ways. Maybe practice has lagged behind a bit. You mentioned the large language models, generative AI. How has that development contributed or stymied our ability to look at and apply models rationally? Well, it's helped because perhaps the large language models have such obvious gaping deficiencies. And I think that's actually really nice in that that's helped to expose some of these flaws so that we can have more of a conversation around them. I think there's been some really exciting work, for example, you know, about how the biases in the training set, effectively, the biases in the way that humans think then get propagated through into the way that these large language models operate. And of course, you know, the large language models are just the ones that are fairly easy to see it in. And these biases are throughout, you know, anything that we do is going to encapsulate the biases that we have in our training set. And so we have to be particularly careful in how we think about that and whether we want to uh, propagate those biases or whether we want to try to design them out. Because if we want to design them out, then we have to do that proactively. And with that being said, it does seem that large language models, chat GPT and and all its ilk are being applied to absolutely everything and anything (laughs) these days. Um, Have we done a good job of prepping the public or, you know, the broader collective with the information required to really use these properly? Well, I mean, no, no, we've done a terrible job. (laughs) But I think... You know, as I said, it it helps us to start that conversation. So we have these large language models and they're being used in many different ways. And I think one of the things that we have seen is how incredibly powerful and incredibly effective they can be in certain limited situations where they can do a really great job. And what perhaps we fail to do is to think sufficiently carefully about the boundaries. You know, where is it that they kind of stop being useful and start being actively misleading and then start being genuinely dangerous. Um, How do we, how do we distinguish those? And so having that conversation about how to distinguish the good from the bad, from the ugly, you know, I, I think is really important. Large language models and generative AI aside, have there been other consequential developments or activities that you'd like to draw people's attention to that may not have received their due as a result of this sort of all-consuming fog around around those elements? Yeah, I mean, apart from my book, obviously, which is <laughs> super exciting. <laughs> um, I mean, one of the things that I've been really heartened by actually in the response to my book is, uh, you know, sort of terrified that people would hate it and come back with lots of criticism. But actually, the kind of reflections that I've had back have been from people saying, 
oh, this really resonates. You know, we're doing something in some area that I know absolutely nothing about, you know, law or transport modeling or investor state dispute settlement was one of the recent ones. And really, I don't know much about this at all. But but they come back and they say, your thoughts on how models are used to support decision making and the ways that that can go wrong really resonate. So that's been actually really nice for me as a sort of integrative synthesis over the last year or so to be able to to try and bring together some more of those threads and and learn from people who are struggling with these questions in other application areas that I'm less familiar with. So I found that really inspiring and ex- exciting to sort of think, you know, that there are wider communities of people involved in these questions who we can work to bring together. Yeah, and to your earlier point, it does seem that a lot of the discussion around decision-making and data-driven decision-making, quote-unquote, is becoming both front and center and a bit more robust, I, I suppose. In this area, what do you anticipate or project we can expect to see in the area of decision-making and, and how we think about making decisions with analytics in, in 2024? Yeah, well, I suppose on on one strand, there is the continued improvement of data. You know, we are measuring more things, more data is available. There is more computing power available to harness that. There are more fancy models like the large AI models uh, to process that data and to use it and to start pushing it towards applications. So I think we'll see a lot more of the the bad and the difficults, you know, the of people sort of rushing into doing things without perhaps having sufficiently examined why and what the consequences could be. But I think also we're we're sort of pushing on in the other direction as well that as these things get rolled out there is more of the criticism, there is more of the of the interest in working out where the limits are and finding, you know, I think a balance between how we can use these powerful methods responsibly, you know, for the benefits that they do genuinely bring without stepping over the line into accidentally doing something that's going to be a really bad idea. Mm-hmm. And, and in that regard, what advice would you give folks or where would you encourage them to focus their energy or attention as we move forward in this? I can't say brave new world because it's not new <laughs> these days, but... <laughs> I think there's loads of exciting stuff at the edges and kind of in the the gaps, the sort of interdisciplinary boundaries, you know, on the, the, the sort of surfaces between domain expertise and, uh, say, you know, computer science expertise and ethics or feminism or post-colonial studies or, you know, all of these sorts of things. There's a real melting pot there of people coming in with really different backgrounds and and saying, actually, what's the fundamental question here? The fundamental question here is about, A, the limits to our knowledge and, and B, the limits to our wisdom, if you like, you know, our ability to make good decisions rather than just sort of defining something to be optimal and then and then writing a program that will make the computer make the optimal decision in the shortest possible time. Actually thinking more you know, more humanistically about what it is that we're actually trying to do. I think those are hugely exciting discussions and ones that get to the core of what we are doing as a society. Why are we here? What's the whole point of it? And I think that's fun and exciting and fruitful and really important. Well, with any luck, that will come from your mouth to the collective ears and 2024 will be the year of wisdom. I love that. Well, thank you, Eric. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you very much. 12 Days of Pondering AI continues tomorrow. Subscribe now for more insights into what's happening now and what to expect next in the ever-fascinating world of AI.